From Live Consulting, this is Cannabis Business Minds with your hosts, Simone Samalukaradzins and Kristen Yoder. Welcome today, and thank you for joining us on Cannabis Business Minds. This is Kristen Yoder, and I have Simone Samalukaradzins. Hello, hello. And today we are interviewing an incredibly talented, awesome startup SRO, which we'll go into soon about what that is, that I've been working with since February, that we've been working with, Mm -hmm. Um, and we're so excited to bring them on and and expose them to the cannabis industry because in the end, I think they're the ones that are going to make a really large impact on our industry. Absolutely. They're much more, a lot of us are focused right now on just the present, which is a good thing. Like, what can I do in my business right now? But a lot of times we forget because the cannabis industry is so open and it's such a free market, California, Oregon, Washington, all these regulated states, that you know what? It's still federally illegal. And what's so great about this organization that we're going to bring on is that they are working and helping shape what it's going to mean for us as cannabis operators and ancillary providers to work in a place, in a country where at one point, which we all know it's going to happen, the question is when cannabis is going to be federally legal. Exactly, and their approach to to setting up a self-regulating organization and to approaching regulators is something unique to the industry. So. When we come back from the break, we will be introducing Andrew Klein, who is the president of the NACB, and Joshua Laterman, who is the CEO and founder. And the NACB is National Association for Cannabis Businesses. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Check you soon. Time for us to do some sponsor business. More Cannabis Business Minds when we return. We get it. Operating in the cannabis industry is tough. It's daunting. And sometimes you listen to this podcast and you're like, oh my God, is there anything for me? And the thing is, there is. And we have made it our mission as a company to make your life easy, to be able to figure out where you can participate in the cannabis industry. And we want to help you. And we've got so many things that can do that. We can help you one-on-one. We've got an online course that's eight weeks geared to operating successfully in the cannabis industry. So if you're interested, I'm going to give you an exclusive offer. So email me at simone at liveadvisors.com and we can give you $500 off your first eight-week course. Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. 
Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Boober way. Great minds think alike because they listen to Cannabis Business Minds. Presented by liveadvisors.com, only on CannabisRadio.com. Great. So today we've got Andrew Klein, the president of the NACB, and Joshua Laterman, the CEO and founder of the NACB National Association for Cannabis Businesses, with us today. And I'm super excited. We're both really excited to finally bring you on here. You guys have been preparing for three years almost, um, which is exactly the best kind of company I think there is, the ones that actually plan. So we're really excited to have you come on and talk about the NACB. But first, before we get started, um, can you guys give us a brief introduction? Because you have amazing backgrounds, and I'll let Joshua start. Sure, it's my pleasure. A big fan of the podcast. It's, uh, it's, it's a great privilege to, uh, to join you ladies and to be active and involved, as you say, on your podcast. That's what we believe in. Um, myself, I'm a dad. Uh, I have three kids, 11, 10, and 9. I grew up in New York. What's relevant, I think, to the cannabis industry is that I've served in regulated environments for over 20 years, serving banks and family offices. Uh, my specialty is federal regulation, bank regulation, and securities transactions. And then uh, I most recently went into working for a private equity owner, the Texas Pacific Group, and they brought me here to Wisconsin, where I'm speaking with you today, um, to help turn around a data and analytics business, which we did, and we sold to a large California data company, And so before I arrived at Cannabis, I had a deep background in dealing with the federal government on solutions, especially in the banking industry, and then most recently using data and analytics to gain insight into markets. Awesome. Yeah, it's very, very impressive. And the fact that you're used to dealing with regulators is incredibly helpful when getting into the cannabis industry. Which is like one of the most regulated industries that there is. Exactly. And knowing your data and knowing your numbers is is really key in solving the problem. Yeah, exactly. Andrew, what about you? Can you talk to us about your background? Yeah, I just, uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, Um, I love that Joshua started... uh, talking about his background and talking about how he's a dad, because for me, that is the most important part of life. I'm a father of two daughters, but um, professionally, I am a former federal prosecutor. So I spent about uh, 14 years at the Department of Justice, most recently prosecuting human trafficking cases, and also served as a crime policy advisor for then Senator Biden on the Senate Judiciary Committee and in the White House when he was vice president. Um, taught law for a couple of years at American University, administrative law, and uh, most recently I came from the uh, uh, FCC, Federal Communications Commission, uh, in the Enforcement Bureau, where I helped manage a team of about 200 lawyers enforcing uh, cable and, and telecom laws. Wow, so you, you guys both are, I mean, honestly, everybody on the team is insanely impressive. Uh, everyone I've met, because I've met you guys a few times now, 
Um, so the federal background, that's especially helpful. Yes. Okay, but so I think a lot of listeners are like, okay, these guys know a lot of stuff. They are heavily involved in regulation. Uh, they are now working somehow in the cannabis industry, but I, they might not know what that means. And so, Joshua, can you talk to us? Because I think one of the most interesting things about getting to meet you and work with you guys um, a little bit is your story. Uh, would you talk to us about your story of why you decided to create the NACB and kind of your evolution from that initial idea to where we are today? Sure, with pleasure. Um, so the NACB, the National Association of Cannabis Businesses, is something that, as you mentioned, has been three years in the preparation. We launched it earlier this month when uh, we spoke at the Cannabis Congress Expo, and I introduced uh, Jesse Ventura. And the business itself in the NACB represents the confluence of both my professional experience and, and a deeply personal experience. As a professional, I spent my whole career, really 20 years, in banking and the law, in solution making, and, and, and perhaps my most expert skill is in risk management. And I believe because I've served as the general counsel of a public bank that there are financial institutions who are interested in the cannabis sector. They see it evolving as a new market. They see the opportunity to sell the goods and services that banks like to sell. And on the flip side, when they begin to look at the cannabis industry, they see they cannot tell the good players from the bad players. Mm -hmm. And so coming from the banking perspective, I think I understand first and foremost what the banks, the capital providers need to see, and also the regulators that I used to deal with in Treasury and uh, all of the banking uh, sub-organizations, what they're looking for. And so on a personal level, you know, I had pediatric cancer. I had leukemia when I was a youngster. Uh, it was a 50-50 proposition for me, and I was very fortunate um, to be one of the young uh, cancer patients that survived. And I say this because it's had a profound impact on my life, how I relate to people, um, how I look at uh, priorities in my life. But as it relates to cannabis, I'm very, very focused on any type of medication or improvement for cancer patients and if there are benefits to be derived from the plants and it certainly seems that there is a suggestion that there are medical benefits for cancer patients then i'd like to to open that door for them and to facilitate that within of course the the balance of the federal law um and so, you know, just to, to close it, the, the NACB is what I envisioned as a way to elevate the legitimacy of the industry. Mm -hmm. If we're going to have this industry, we need to have it run like a real industry. People have to be adults. They can't claim that they want to be in an old cannabis culture and have access to modern goods and services, especially banking. And so by establishing standards of the highest order, which we've done with our team, and providing future access to data and analytics, we believe we're delivering what businesses will need to survive and to grow. And it really all starts with self-regulation, but let me take a pause there. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, with self-regulation, that's a very good intro into what is a self-regulating organization or an SRO. We have the pleasure of speaking with Joshua Laterman and Andrew Klein from the NACB. And so we were just talking about the initial idea phase of, you know, the need of a self-regulated regulating organization. But for a lot of us, including myself, it seems a little bit interesting, right? Uh, so let's talk right now, Andrew, what is a, an SRO? So an SRO, or a self-regulatory organization, um, is an organization that sets standards for a particular industry and then enforces them um, through voluntary conduct of its members. And so you might be familiar, for instance, with the Motion Picture Association, who at some point uh, realized that the government was going to be all up in their business uh, unless they started um, uh, rating films. And so, you know, that's when they came up with the PG and R rated system. Um, and they did it volitionally um, through their member organizations, so all of the, the different uh, movie studios. And they're enforcing them uh, on their own. And the idea is that if you set standards and then enforce them, the hope is that the government regulators will, will stay out of your way. And that is a very great idea and a great idea that no one's actually thought of. I don't think anyone's even heard of that in the cannabis industry because when we, or when I've mentioned the NACB, people commonly think of the NCIA or a lobbying group. Can you explain the difference between what you're doing and what a lobbying group does? Yeah, so, well, let me start with what a lobbying group does and then I'll tell you uh, in, in greater detail about what we're doing. So the NCIA is uh, a very important organization and we are partnering with them uh, at every step uh, that we can. They're, they're lobbying Congress on issues that are extremely important to the industry, like 280E. Um, but we're not a lobbying organization um, and we're not convening conferences. So the other thing that NCI does quite well is they convene conferences and um, have speakers that speak on various topics to educate uh, the industry at large. Um, we're not doing either one of those. Um, so as a self-regulatory organization, as I said, we are setting standards and enforcing them. Um, and there's a variety of reasons for why we feel as though this is important. But at the core, what we've seen is that there is great regulatory uncertainty in the marketplace which is making it really hard for businesses to focus on their core objectives, right? Their core objective is to run a business mm -hmm. and make money. But instead, they're having to focus on navigating complex state regulations. And more significantly, there's so much uncertainty at the federal level uh, that no one really knows what the federal government wants at this point. The previous administration laid out some fairly specific priorities in, in the Cole memo, uh, but the there have been no clear indications from this current Justice Department about what their priorities are. And so we're here to help. We um, will be creating and enforcing national standards that address critical issues and help ensure that our members act responsibly. And as I said before, when I was referring to the Motion Picture Association, the goal here is uh, that, you know, the hope is that it will prevent uh, unnecessary government interference. Um, and historically, this has been a successful business model where regulators often look to the success um, 
of an industry's SRO when deciding whether government regulation is necessary. Oh, wow. I mean, that, that definitely makes sense. So can you talk to us a little bit more about what kind of standards this would be? So if I'm listening, I'm like, yes, I have a, a grow in California and I'm about to get a license from the state. Um, what would it mean for me to be a member or a part of your association and, and be self-regulated? So that's a great question. So, uh, you know, you, you can imagine there could be literally hundreds of standards if you, if you really wanted to tackle every issue that the industry is facing. Um, in the first instance, we're going to be tackling uh, issues related to public safety. And I'll, I'll talk about that more in a minute. But let me tell you a little bit about the process, because I think that is critically important. Um, our feeling is, you know, you can't just develop standards in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to do is we're engaging our founding members. So we have set a goal of, of having uh, 20 founding members. Um, in the short term. And our, our goal there is to find members who have a diversity of expertise. So, you know, growers, um, retail experts, um, extraction experts, but also some, some, diver uh, some uh, diversity in geographical diversity. So um, we'd like, you know, businesses in Colorado, California, uh, Oregon, Washington State, um, anywhere where either recreational or medicinal uh, marijuana is legal. And so we'll be engaging our members and their expertise. Um, and the first thing we're going to do is set up a national uh, standards governance board. And so um, we'll have that board in place and our members will be able to decide whether they want to participate on any uh, specific working groups. Um, and as I said, at the start, um, you know, we'll be looking at uh, the, the priorities of state and federal enforcement. So, you know, that, those are usually largely around public safety. At least that's what it was uh, in the last administration um, pursuant to the Cole Memo. Mm -hmm. And so, in the first instance, we'll be looking at things like advertising as it relates to minors, um, preventing underage sales, um, drug driving, um, packaging and labeling, labeling, particularly as it relates to accessibility of minors or, you know, how they appeal to minors. Um, and of course, edibles, because, you know, those, those can be dangerous uh, for kids. Um, and to be legitimate, you know, we, we, we're going to have a transparent and inclusive process. So we'll have a notice and comment period, much like what the federal government does with rulemaking. And so, um, you know, we will develop a rule with our experts, um, our standard with our experts internally, and then we will uh, post it, and people will be able to comment on it, and uh, you know, and, and have input into the process of uh, how these things are, are made. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you want everybody to really be able to be involved in making these regulations because what we've noticed, even in the state of California, like we have, we've seen the draft rules, and then the governor passed the trailer bill, and now a lot of the draft rules that everyone was reading were moot. So, I mean, this is such a young industry that being so nimble and flexible with that process of, you know, no, we're not going to set the standards. We're going to work with businesses to set the standards. Really makes long like a lot of sense in like for the long term success of these organizations and to take it above the mm -hmm. state level exactly to a federal level, which is how. I was so impressed when Joshua had reached out to me and sent me the Trump webinar or the webcast that you had did and the way that you were approaching it where it's, 
approach each regulator individually and ask them to be, what would you want? If, if it was legal, just a thinking exper experiment, yep. what would you want? And to work with regulators versus legislators where mm -hmm. it's like hitting a wall, you know? So have you guys, how have you yeah. been, how have you been received in the, with government officials that you've talked to? Because I know you've spoken with a lot. Joshua, you know, I I wonder uh, what I'd love to do, uh, Simone and Kristen, is just to tag on to your your comment about the federal standards. And I think Andrew nailed all of how we're going to execute and deliver a system of standards that are going to work, and it's important. And you you mentioned California; it's so hard to make fragmented law. You really need, if you're a proven regulator, to make a legal system that is going to work with uh, across states with unified standards with auditability you know that's what we're going to be delivering but just to, to give you the idea many people will suggest that the federal uh, interests are going to grow right now we have a seven billion dollar industry and if you look at the federal interests as they are uh, outlined in the media You'd see that the DEA and the Department of Justice and the FDA and the bank regulators are implicated. And as Andrew noted, they're implicated to preserve public safety and welfare. But when the industry grows to $50 billion or larger, do you think there are going to be more federal interests? We do. And we know that the states are only writing state law. So there's a growing body of standards that need to be written. And the way we go about writing them is to bring in the foremost experts, like the former chief of staff of the DEA or the head of Homeland Security or a chief of staff in the Department of Justice. And we take a first shot at writing them. And then we do what you suggested on the phone. We ask people to lean in, to participate. And the standards that Andrew's speaking of We've begun building them three years ago. We're going to be presenting what three years of work looks like for input and finalization by our founding members. But no good rules are written just by lawmakers. You always have to have the people who will be part of the system to give input. And, and that's what we're about at the NACB. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into the NACB and kind of what they've been able to do since their initial launch. So Joshua, if you could explain, we know that, you know, one of Kristen and my favorite quotes is just the concept of, you know, really prep, 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 and then attack. And it seems like from our conversations and what we've discussed, even, you know, within this podcast, that seems like it's your mentality too. Could you talk to us a little bit about, you know, we talked in the very beginning about that initial idea, but now that you've launched, can you tell us where you guys plan to be, you know, from that initial launch was I think last month and where you plan to be this year and in the next year? Sure. Sure. Well, we are a long player. We want to be here to serve the best in the industry. And to do that is going to continue to take time as we meet the best in the business and credential and learn them in a more deep and uh, a clear manner. Uh, so a hallmark of, our, of the NACB is we're not going to rush, but we are here to serve the best in the industry. What we are doing on the membership side, I'll let Andrew go into that a little bit, but we are in the process of 
bringing on our 20 founding members. And we also are considering bringing on some founding vendors as well who deliver the best in services in the future. Okay, cool. Yeah, Andrew, do you want to tell us more about the services? Sure. So, you know, one of the things that we have found, we've been, we've been receiving overwhelming acceptance of our uh, SRO idea. Um, and one of the things I think that surprised me is the volume of companies that have come forward. Um, so, so conceptually, you know, when, when I think Joshua envisioned the SRO originally, it was, you know, there are cannabis-related businesses that are highly regulated, and those companies that touch the plant that are regulated by the state and federal governments or, or regulated by the state um, would be our members, right? But then there's this whole other class of, of companies that don't necessarily touch the plant, that are not regulated, um, law firms, CPAs, lighting companies, um, you know, companies that make um, uh, vitamins for, you know, soil, um, all these companies that, that support the industry are interested in becoming members um, because they see us as a way to legitimize, right? So we are certifying that companies are, are behaving ethically and responsibly. And so we are also now in the process of uh, developing a, a separate tier of membership. Almost think of it like an Angie's list where we will do um, a little bit of vetting. It won't be nearly as robust as a company who has a license and is being regulated by the state, but we will, we will you know, demonstrate in some way that they are uh, responsible and ethical. Um, and they will be, um, you know, strategic partners of ours. I like that. Yeah, that's very <clears throat> a very well-received um, idea for most people because everyone talks a lot of game in this industry, and it's very hard to know who you're working with without having some sort of referral system or some way to know what they've done in the past. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I would I, the amount of money you spend with someone who's not good at what they do. Oh, yeah. It's so much Oh, more. my God. Well, speaking of which, this is so interesting. So, like, I do, I love writing content, and I'm, I'm a very curious person. And so I, I want to do, you know, this one campaign about the frauds in the cannabis industry. And so, like, last week, I just put on social media, like, hey, I'm interested to hear what type of frauds that you've experienced or that you know about in the cannabis industry. I put it on Facebook, and I put it on LinkedIn. And I had an overwhelming response of these crazy fraud stories from investors that have gone bad to vendors to experts that claim that they're amazing that you know don't deliver anything so there definitely is and everyone's and everyone actually there's one comment which probably is perfect for you guys I'll have to send it to you to tell you who it was he's like we need a spot where we can really regulate everybody and I mean it's so true and I think with the digital economy in itself and the transition that we're going from you know really being you know, thinking about real estate, yes, but really online real estate, our online presence and everything, we have to go deeper when we do business with people because if you do business with somebody and you're investing a lot of mo 
money in like let's say your capital or an investor or anything or even just your time and you realize you know a few weeks later or even a few years later that there's a huge fraud that was related to that relationship you really it's really hard to recover from that and, so and it's really common in an emerging industry to oh, have a lot of yes. the snake oil salesmen yes, who, who are taking advantage well and people don't there's not enough history out there for people to recognize a snake oil salesman yes it's like i don't even know where to find the resources to know whether or not you don't know what you don't know, basically. Yeah. And then also the only other thing that's a little bit hard is how do you validate that that was a true allegation? And that yeah, takes time. exactly. That takes time, and that's why I'm glad that you guys are doing it because yeah. that is like... I, I just want to emphasize, I know that you guys have, I mean, we're talking to some amazing people that have served on some of the top places in, in the federal government as part of this team. So what you are doing is beyond anything that the cannabis industry has seen. And one thing I've just noticed from being in it for a few years is that it's better to be there right now because people will come to you and, and realize the importance. I'm curious, guys, um, Joshua or Andrew, what has been the most impactful um, conversation that you've had with a cannabis operator that you really were able to, you know, understand what their needs were to apply it into kind of the direction of the NACB? Well, you know, th that's been my role for most of my life as an advisor to an owner. And so I really enjoy sitting down with prospective members or industry leaders to hear what motivates them what their ambition is, what, where they're trying to, to get to and why, and to help them measure the risk along the way in their decisioning. Um, Andrew, I think you probably had the role as an advisor before. What do you think? I'm not sure this is going to directly answer your question, but um, I have been really pleasantly surprised at the reaction that we get from businesses when we tell them about our idea and the enthusiasm that comes out in their wanting to participate in developing the standards. So when I first took this job, I loved Joshua's vision. And I thought, you know, companies are going to want to, you know, want relationships with banks and, and banks want to do business with the marijuana industry, but they don't know who to trust. So this is, this is, this is perfect. And that's all true. But in addition to that, um, what's been really exciting is the business owners who are like, you know what, like I am, you know, I'm in this business to do right by people, just as Joshua started this conversation by talking about making a difference, you know, for people who have cancer or, or other debilitating diseases that marijuana can help with. Business owners are like, hey, I want to set the standards for my industry. I want to be part of that. Uh, and that's been really exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, if I could just chip in, the for, for me, the, the most powerful moments are medical. And, and I have been with a father who has a high school son who is weighing whether to quit chemotherapy, which is not going to end well for him because he's so exhausted and he doesn't eat and he's, He's turned into a rake after being a, uh, a fireballing Texas high school pitcher. And the cannabis uh, is, enables him to get over his nausea and eat and be able to be more clear-headed about 
how he's going to handle his disease. And that's very powerful. And then, of course, I've also been with families who have younger children who have uh, epilepsy and have seen remarkable results. And it's very powerful to to yeah. see that. And, you know, I'd say the, the last experience that also is, is thrilling for me is when someone who is formerly in the federal government says to us, we think that you guys have the solution. We think that if you're successful, you can help fulfill the essential federal priorities to public safety, taking care of our country. We can fulfill those, what the federal government needs and enable an industry of responsible players. And, you know, just on the note, you guys were talking earlier about how do you know who to trust? I have to tell you that the only way to trust someone from where I sit is with data that I feel is reliable. And right now there is no data standard for our industry. There is no ledger of record. There's no Bloomberg. We hope from the day that we turn on our full service and we expect to deliver that in January, that if you're a member, you will be able to show an unbroken trail of compliance with your state and your voluntary national standards that you're accepting from us, plus the absence of any obvious examples of money laundering in your bank accounts. And every day that you comply, once we're running this system, we will blockchain it. And you will have a ledger of record for your business every day updated, showing that you have been a good actor. And you will be able to go, as long as you're a member with the system in the NACB, to other providers of goods and services who rightfully should wonder, are you one of the good guys or are you one of the bad guys? And you'll say, look, here's my record. I'm one of the good guys. I go above and beyond. And then business will begin to happen with a level of trust and transparency and we'll have a much more efficient market. Yeah, I can't wait. It's beautiful. Yes, it's beautiful. And I mean, we always ask this to people. Um, so I, uh, two questions before we wrap up. First question is, where, not where, but when do you think the federal prohibition will end? Or, you know, I, I, it's always like, I know it's nobody has a crystal ball, but do you have any insight to that? Joshua. All right. Well, I'm asked this question. I'm asked this. I'm asked this question a lot. When will prohibition end? Yes. My first answer is, I think it's just a matter of when it will happen. I don't think it's a matter of if. And that's yes. a statement which was not so clear a number of years ago. Now, in terms of timing, it seems reasonable that we should not expect a shift in the federal policy under the current administration. So. Whether or not you think you have secret information, which I don't have, <laughs> my guess is it doesn't, ha it doesn't happen for the balance of this current administration. And then if I were an incoming president, I would certainly take the opportunity to reevaluate the federal position, which probably would require a administration with an inclination to do that, and then a year or two of reevaluating. So I set the over under at six to seven years but I think it could easily be more. At the same time with the NACB, if you guys create these amazing standards that the federal government sees in action, 
you could bring about legalization. Oh gosh, I to hope. To me, the NACB is the working model of legalization if legalization actually happened. Yeah, it's true. So fingers crossed on that, just because it's just so funny before we get into our last question of how crippling it is to operate in an illegal market. Because, you know, it was, we, I was listening to Vicente Fox at the NCIA conference and just, it, it really resonated hard. Like, okay, people have to pay punitive taxes to ADE. They have to, um, they have issues with finding a bank account. And so the moment that we can utilize an SRO like yourselves and then have this be federally legal, it's gonna allow businesses, just normal functioning businesses like Kristen and my business to play the game that everybody else has, get deductions for you know payroll and all of that. So I know that that's what the NAC any NCIA is doing really for lobbying efforts, but I know it goes hand in hand with the NACB and what you're doing as an SRO. Exactly. Are you gentlemen ready for one final question? Ready. All right. Um, we love, I mean, so this is Cannabis Business Minds. We like to talk about what it is to be in business and what are the successful traits that, you know, businesses have and leaders in those businesses have. So I wanted to leave it to both of you. So, uh, well, with that said, like, Joshua, having worked with you, I mean, you're one of the best leaders I've ever met as far as the way you you run your team and the way, I mean, your kids are insanely cute and they're so smart and talented. Like, I've just been so impressed with the way you do things and I would love for you to speak towards your leadership, the way you approach leadership with your team. Sure, and I'm I'm blushing, I and mean, I hope my mom gets to, to hear this one too. It'll make her happy. But um, I'd say a couple thoughts. I have been the right hand man of leaders for 20 years, and so the first thing and the first lesson is take the opportunity to learn from the people when you're around experts. And so, really, I'm not the smartest guy, but I've had a terrific opportunity to be around smart people. And uh, my father, who's 87 and um, still in the financial services business, has always introduced me to his colleagues. And so I've learned a lot from people who have a lot of expertise. And I encourage our young analysts to do the same. Uh, if you want to learn a lot, you need to be modest. If you want to have people regard you in an um, enlightened manner, you need to be prepared and respectful. So a hallmark of our team is to prepare and consider before we go execute and to commit to that process so that we make few bad decisions. And I suppose last is to really understand why you're in the room in the first place. Because for me, I'd like to put our executives and our young people in a position where they're fulfilling what it is they want. You know, we don't live to work or work to live. And what we've been successful at finding with the NACB is that we have an opportunity to help make the United States a better place. We have an opportunity to help facilitate medicine where it's required. We have an opportunity to finally create a ledger of record of data that people can look at to begin to understand the industry more. And education is always in advancing. And then I guess last is try to be positive and recognize people. Um, 
I always try to recognize the good points of what someone is doing before I give them constructive advice. Um, and I really like being around our team. You know, if you treat your team with respect, you always model good behavior. Um, and people become leaders before you know it. Sorry to go on for so long, but I, I do think about it a lot and, and, and how to help people become what they want to be and, and help us at the NACB become what, what we want to be. And I think you're doing an excellent job with that. Andrew, what do you think is the secret sauce? You know, I think Josh uh, hit the nail on the head. You know, the only thing I would add is, you know, I think you need to hire great people and then empower them to do to do work um, on their own. You can't operate in a silo, right? So you want to foster a culture of inclusiveness and a collaborative environment. Uh, but at the end of the day, you need to let people who have specific expertise do their thing. Mm -hmm. Yep, let them shine. Get the right people on the bus. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining uh, this episode of Cannabis Business Minds. We definitely learned a lot about what an SRO is, what the NACB is doing, and we look forward to watching you grow and watching you onboard founding members. And hopefully the six to seven years uh, of federal prohibition might be a little bit less, but that's our fingers crossed. And it's a lot of hard work for everybody in the industry to do and to support you all. Yes, we're so excited to watch what happens and to be a part of the NACB um, and we're so glad we were able to bring you guys out to all of our listeners and we'll put oh and thank yes. you guys for doing what you're doing oh yeah you're welcome and education you know education is such an important piece of all of this right yes yes Amen. absolutely yeah. I mean I'm glad though that we got a fan here um before we'll, we always put everything in the show notes but just so we can have you guys say it do, how could somebody find find out more about the NACB where could they go you know if, you, if you'd like to learn more about the NACB our website nacb.com has lots of information Perfect. some really short videos and all the information you need to to contact us and to see what people are saying about our organization as well. And if you happen to be on YouTube, you can also find us there on the NACB channel, and we will be coming soon to uh, to other platforms. Excellent. And the videos are incredibly helpful and short, so I highly recommend everyone go check them out. It'll give you the exact idea you need for the NACB. Mm -hmm. And you might see me on there, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Time for us to do some sponsor business. More Cannabis Business Minds when we return. We get it. Operating in the cannabis industry is tough. It's daunting. And sometimes you listen to this podcast and you're like, oh my God, is there anything for me? And the thing is, there is. And we have made it our mission as a company to make your life easy, to be able to figure out where you can participate in the cannabis industry. And we want to help you. And we've got so many things that can do that. We can help you one-on-one. -on -one. We've got an online course that's eight weeks geared to operating successfully in the cannabis industry. So if you're interested, I'm going to give you an exclusive offer. So email me at Simone at liveadvisors.com and we can give you $500 off your first eight-week course.
Running a successful cannabis business isn't easy. Successful businesses need to have strong people to achieve long-term results. At Live Advisors, we believe people are the heart of business, and training people can help you infinitely grow your business. Learn more about our offerings at liveadvisors.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Great minds think alike because they listen to Cannabis Business Minds. Presented by liveadvisors.com, only on cannabisradio.com. All right, so we're back with Cannabis Business Minds. This is Simone Samaluka Radsons and Kristen Yoder. And we had such a great chat with Joshua and Andrew from the NACB. What's your takeaway from it? You've worked with them for, we've worked with them, and now we've been able to see them launch and really get them on the phone to hear about their vision. Like, what's your main takeaway? In my entire career, I've never met a company that walked the walk and talked the talk. I mean, like our favorite quote, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I'll spend four sharpening my axe. That is exactly what they do. And I've, I've never seen such a cohesive, well-oiled machine and seen such a collaborative environment, even though most of the people are remote, that it's, these are the people I want to be in charge of coming up with federal standards. I mean, this is the type of group. We weren't even able to go into all the other people on their team, Mm -hmm. but they've got the ex-chief of staff for the DEA. They've got DOJ. They have everyone. I mean, they've got doctors and lawyers, financial regulators. Cannabis experts. Yeah, exactly. They're amazing people, and they're going to achieve success. And as a cynical person, I don't say that, like, ever, really, because I'm Mm -hmm. not sure, you know? But I've seen the inside of the NACB. I see their communications and everything and they're going places and I think that only I mean only the best companies will be able to be associated with them mm-hmm. and they're the gold standard yeah they're like the platinum standard the platinum. yes exactly I think my main takeaway well a the importance of this and how how really and we were talking offline with them a little bit about this is like they're dealing with the federal government, they're having conversations. They are, like you just mentioned, like their team is skilled and like beyond the expertise that I've seen in the cannabis industry. So that was absolutely like, just to hear that on this podcast was really great. But then I loved all the things that Joshua was saying about leadership, about being modest, about listening, about really thinking things through and not overreacting and communicating. And, and being positive Mm -hmm. and recognize. I mean, when I was in Denver with them, at the end of the day, he'd be like, our most valuable player, like wins a t-shirt or something. Or like in a meeting and we have good news, he'd be like, I'm gonna do my happy dance. Like that's so awesome to have that. He's like you, like (laughs) such a positive person and that 
that rubs off on other people. Yeah, it's the way to empower. So I'm like just so happy for them and I'm excited to see where they get to go in the 2017 and then in the future. And I hope he's wrong about the six to seven years. Yeah. But it seems like it could be actually accurate and realistic. Let's see where the administration goes. Let's see end of 2017. What's up? Yes. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining another episode of Cannabis Business Minds. We'll check you next week. Have a fantastic week. Cannabis Business Minds is recorded by Kristen Yoder and Simone Similuka Radsons. Produced and edited by Gustavo Bolgach at East Venice Recording Studios. Podcast music is by Ketza. You can find more episodes of the show on our website, liv-consulting.com, and you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.